Okay, here we are. Uh, I don't even know what week it is anymore. I'm just, I'm just gonna start like making up numbers, like <laughs> like Lou when she's counting. She'll be like eleven, twelve, fifteen, eleven, twenty, twenty, ten. Oh, my favorite number is eleven. Eleven. All the little kids say eleven. Yeah. I don't know why. Anyway, maybe it's it's always gonna be episode eleven. <laughs> It's just gonna be like imaginary toddler number episodes because I can't, can't keep track which of which episode it is. Um, yeah. yeah, here we are. Here we are. There's, um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Should we do it? Wait, before this we get it. It's gonna turn into like a psychology podcast, <laughs> sure. I think, based I think on it will. what's going on. Right. Before we get into want to talk about like, groceries. talking about. <laughs> friendships and the pandemic and what that means when you work with the public and suddenly nobody wants to be your friend anymore but then you also realize that some of your friends might be or never your friends in the first place right because they never had any significant understanding of who you are and what your fucking life is about yeah um i just thought we could talk about grocery news because yeah. i have a funny thing okay. that's very particular okay. to the store so, um, one of our regulars, I'm not going to name him, but he wears broken socks with socks uh-huh. and lots of tie-dye. I know who Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he came into the store yesterday and basically told one of our coworkers, um, he showed him a bottle of tequila and was like, oh, this is, don't charge me for this. This is Free, the owner, your boss, does not charge me for this tequila. Huh? And it was like a $40 tequila. And what? so our coworker. Wait, you mean the same boss who apparently is complaining that we don't make any money anymore? Yeah. We're going to go out of business. Oh, he's wait. Giving, it's he's, still. he's giving away $40 bottles of tequila. <laughs> yes. Oh, that um, makes sense. So, oh, wait, he, no, yeah, doesn't. this guy <laughs> was. Saying that, and then our coworker, who um, we'll say their name starts with a K, I'm sure you can imagine, was very stoic and was like, um, "I'm sorry, sir, I don't really feel comfortable just giving you this tequila. Like, if that's a deal you have with the owner, um, maybe do that when he's here." But you he didn't know, tell anyone that. yeah, like he didn't tell any of us, like that this is a thing for you that he does, you know, and. Yeah, it was just very, and I was like, so, yeah, co-worker, whose name says it's okay, comes up to me and is like, so, yeah, this dude just came and was like, I get this tequila for free. And I was just like, <laughs> he was like, have you ever heard of this, like, special treatment at all? And I was like, no, what the fuck? And he's like, well, I told him, like, please don't do that again. It does not feel good for me to just, like, do yeah. this. I feel like I'm being strong-armed. Like, like I could be fired, sir. sir. You're making me feel <laughs> uncomfortable. And then apparently this morning, um, we'll just call the, per- the co-worker, we'll just say their name is Kay. So Kay goes over to uh the owner and is like i'm sorry but like this happened and it did not make it did not feel good for me can you please tell your friends who you have special like deals for to not come and do this shit when, when you're, you're not, not here because this is not the first this is not the first customer oh, no. 
that have come up with like random like i get this this for free and it's like some very ridiculous thing i would also like to point out that every single one to a person every single one of the customers who do this is a wealthy white person yeah who can more than afford to pay yeah, the things. <laughs> so my joke for the last couple of days is, um, I told Carly the story because we were stalking near each other, yeah. and I was like, "Oh man, I can't wait to tell Grace." Like, <laughs> I told Harley the story, and he's like laughing, and I was like, "You know, man, like, what? How? When will like I get? I'm just waiting for myself to get to that point. When will I arrive to a place where suddenly I go to the grocery store, my favorite stores, establishments." And the owners are just like throwing me things free, like expensive top shelf liquors at me. Like, no, well, it's how like do you get there? Own, it's like that great Allen Ginsberg line where he says, "When will it, will I be able to go to the supermarket and buy what I need with my good looks?" <laughs> when? Literally, people are doing that here. When America? When? <laughs> and the people who are doing that here are not even good looking. No, they're not. They don't have good looks to pay for the shit with. Like, no. they're fucking old, mummified, disgusting, rich white people who can afford to pay for their shit. They just want it free. And I'm really glad that you told that story because it, <laughs> it segues perfectly oh, into great. my grocery story about the billing. Oh, God. Oh, I'm excited. I've been waiting. I might even, so I got to do the monthly bills today. This is like the country club news because... Um, you know, we've talked about how this place is a country club, but there's all these people who pay for their shit by filling out these little slips. And then we add up all the slips and they get a monthly bill. And they are, with the exception of like, a, a, there's about 500 monthly accounts. There's one African-American family. One. Ooh, I did not know that. Yeah. There's one. There's only and it's one. the family of it's the family of the first African American justice on the California Supreme Court. <laughs> oh my! It's like it's like that amazing. <clears throat> it's like the Chris Rock um, routine where he talks about like wealth and rich people, like the difference between wealthy people and rich people, and he's like, uh-huh. you know, he's like, I live in this nice neighborhood in L.A. Like. In my, like, basic, basically in my area that I live in, there's, like, three black people. The three black people are me, Oprah, and Tyler Perry. Like, meanwhile, on one side of me, there's a white dude who's, like, a dentist. And on the other side of me, there's a white dude who's, like, never worked a day in his life. He just inherited a fuck ton of money. Like, but, like, the only black people in the neighborhood are me, Oprah, and Tyler Perry. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's basically... It's the same thing, but, like, very big. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's one African-American family. There's one account that's an African-American family, and it's, like, the family of a dude who is just, like, a giant in the history of, like, African-American achievement in the state. You know, like, it's not, like, just an average, you know, black family in the neighborhood, but whatever. Anyway, so, yeah, there's, like, 500 accounts, and 499 of them are, like, rich white people, most of whom inherited their money. Some of them are interesting. I I will not lie. Like they're okay. So there's like one dude who actually, I don't know if he's still alive because I haven't seen him for a while. All weatherman. 
remember a weatherman who would come in with the, um, he just kind of had dementia and he would come in wearing like a raincoat. Like Harley called him all weatherman because he'd wear a raincoat and like <laughs> a vest and like he was very old. Anyway, he had like, Would he always have like a really like crickety like paper bag? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's all weatherman. So he's somebody that I think I was like, I was saying something about him one day and Cindy was like, oh, you should look him up. He's actually really interesting. And she told me his name. And I looked him up, and it turns out that he actually is really fascinating. <laughs> like, oh. He was a professor at Cal for oh, your alma mater. <laughs> oh, hey. For, um, like, decades and decades. He was a physics professor and kind of, like, a bit of a physics uh, renegade. He pioneered the study of the physics of consciousness. <laughs> Whoa. And if this is the same guy I'm thinking of, this is nuts. He wrote like a bunch of books about basically how consciousness can affect the quantum physics of the universe. Like, you know, for a dum dum like me, I'm like, oh, so like if you think about something, it can actually like on a like on a like molecular level, like affect the universe. This is it's very stony. I'm sorry that yeah. the way I'm talking about it is so stony. It's just because no, I'm fine. pretty dumb about physics, but I was like reading, there's like a Wikipedia on him. Yeah, I was like, this is like shit that I read about when I was like a teenager. I was really into like consciousness and yeah. like how that yeah. correlates. So that dude who I was writing off as just like another terrible rich old white man turns out to be this like very fascinating kind of groundbreaking physicist who wrote, kind of wrote the book literally on the physics of consciousness. And then his wife, Cindy was like, oh, his wife's really interesting too. You should look her up. I was like, okay. So I look up his wife, who's also on the account, and his wife was like a famous operatic soprano who debuted at the Met in New York in like 1986, like singing in, I don't, I can't remember what the lead, what, or what the role was that she debuted in, but she had like this long career, like at the top of the opera world. I was like, huh? <laughs> Wow, we do really, like, that is one very interesting thing about where we work. Like, all of the very interesting, I mean, there are interesting rich people. Like, the fucking, I mean, one in particular that shops here all the time mm -hmm. is the, um, what is it, the guy that did all the original stop motion animations oh, yeah. for Star Wars. Yeah, and he's actually really nice. He's super fucking nice. He's very nice, and he charges a lot. So that's a good that's a good preamble to like the, all the shit I'm about to talk. <laughs> there is some cool it's people like the, it's that like, like a, reside in right. this area and like shop here. Yeah, it's not all like this, but the people that are like this are so like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like instead of hashtag not all white people, it's like hashtag not all country club people. <laughs> Like, some of the country club people are, like, you know, groundbreaking experimental physicists. And a lot of them are not. Groundbreaking, uh, you know, animators. Groundbreaking and animators. Shit. And they're actually nice people. And then the great majority of them are really shitty. Which leads me to what the next thing I was going to oh, say. Oh, I can't wait. So, out of the 500 accounts, most of them pay their bill off every month. The exceptions to this are really enraging. Um, there's one person who has like a $7,000 balance from like 12 years ago. Thank God at least she stopped charging on this account, but she also has never paid a penny. 
on her balance. And she just basically, she still comes in. She still comes in here. <laughs> and yeah. she, we send her a bill every month. She gets a finance charge every month because she has not paid anything on the $6,000 worth of groceries. That it's she like it's stole. six. Okay. Yeah. Now? Yeah. Oh my. She gets a finance charge every month because oh that's what God. happens when you don't pay your shit. You have to pay interest. <laughs> So yeah. it's supposed to serve as a gentle reminder that if you don't pay your bill, your bill is going to continue to go up, which like most people in the normal world think like, hmm, I should probably start doing something about paying that bill because I keep getting finance charges. But we're not in the real world and this person has not paid anything on the many thousands of dollars of groceries that she stole <laughs> many years ago and seems to have absolutely no intention of ever paying anything but she comes in here all the time and she shops and i've run her up before and she'll pay with a debit card and she actually one time paid for her groceries with a debit card and was like is it too much for me to get 300 dollars back like cash back like can i get 300 dollars cash back oh my <laughs> on oh my God. debit card First of all, yes it is i was like what i really wanted to say was what I said was, we have a hundred dollar limit. What I wanted to say was, bitch, you owe this store six thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you three. I'll give you three hundred dollars on the condition that you hand it right the fuck back to me, <laughs> and I'll put it as a credit on your account. Oh the balance God. on which is currently five hundred. $5,997.38 motherfucking cents. Okay, so there's her, but she's not even the one I wanted to talk about. Because <laughs> there's this other person. She's, she, I think I just, like, I compartmentalize her. I put her in a part of my brain that is, like, purgatory. No, it's not purgatory. It's, like, a special, like, locked cell for certain people, the thought of whom I can't support without getting really angry. Like I put her there. So I don't really think about her anymore. But then this other dude crept up on me over the past few months who is a really shitty white man and he has a really terrible vibe. He has this really like greasy, disgusting fucking lobster face white man vibe like <laughs> just total you know what i mean i was like, telling harley about that i was like you can tell by the look on this dude's face because harley told me like oh grace wrote this great letter yeah and um <laughs> i was just like you know just and then he was like oh it's a very professional letter though like you know sometimes yeah. when you would first meet grace the amount of like cussing she does you wouldn't think she's so good at writing i was like no no harley <laughs> He's like, no, no, Harley. Um, Your wife is my wife, too. And yeah. I and I was like, I feel I like you're throwing in some judgment. Okay. Like, okay. Um, I mean, just because I speak this way, do you think I'm bad at writing? Like, I didn't say yeah, this, but like, I keep on, making man. this joke to myself. Like, I was just accepted into Berkeley. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, he was saying that. I was like, man, like, something about this person's face. Like, you can just tell. He's some like musty ass, like he is a slimy, he's just like a greasy lobster face, mouth breathing, <laughs> fucking verbal verbally abusing his kids, at least verbally abusing his kids. Motherfucker, like his kids have worked here and they're fucked up and it's his fault. 
Just yeah. putting that out there. Like, yeah. He's They've both fun. worked here, and it's clear that they are, yeah. He's a terrible person. Absolutely terrible. But anyway, so to get to the heart of the matter, over the past several months, he has, he charges almost more than any other account. Like, mm -hmm. if not every day, at least every other day, mm -hmm. he has a tag for, like, between 40 and $80. This dude racks up fucking debt on his account constantly. Yeah. Constantly. And he did not pay. He doesn't pay. He for you had a period of like six months where he did not pay anything. Six or seven months, he paid nothing, and he charges all the time. And um, I asked our boss about it, and our boss always says like, "Oh well, you know, I mean, we should we should be nice to him. His father was my geography teacher in grade school." <laughs> like, okay, cool. What do you know about? Like, what did geography I'm like, help you what with? does that have to do with the 10,000 fucking dollars worth of groceries he's stolen from Wait, you? Wait, <laughs> it's up to 10? Okay, so day. at one point, it was up to... So, when I sent him a bill last month, it was over $9,000. Oh, no. And without really... I mean, I, I asked Nick, can I write him a note and give him, you know, tell him he needs to pay something? And Nick was like, well, yes, I suppose he should pay something. So I wrote him a note last month and I said, um, you know, you're very friendly. And Nick, I signed it with, with our boss's name. So I wrote it in, in the style. I was like, well, this balance is getting up there. Sure would be nice if you, um, if you could uh, pay on your account before continuing to charge or something like that, you know? <laughs> okay, so this fool's balance at this point is up to like $9,000. I, we send the bills with the note. Get a check three days later. You want to guess how much the check was for? Two grand. Two grand. Okay. Good job, buddy. Your unpaid bill is now $7,000. Oh, boy. And for the past month since we received the $2,000, he has continued to charge virtually every day. Oh so boy. we're now at the end of the month. It's time to send bills again. His balance is, again, over $8,000. Oh, my God. Okay, so now I'm going to treat you to the letter. I oh, I can't wait. This is the letter I included with his bill today. Dear Mr. Blankety Blank, While we here at STAR have been happy to extend some extra flexibility to our account holders during this very unusual past year, we are now getting all our accounts in order and up to date. You've been carrying a very high balance and charging with great frequency for many months now. We ask that you please pay off the full balance of your account at this time. If we have not received payment for your full balance due by the 15th of this month, 5-15-21, we will have to suspend further activity on the account until the balance is cleared. Thanks much for your understanding and attention to this matter. Kind regards. Accounts and billing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like Carly said, it's amazing that somebody as angry as me is capable of writing a letter like this. I see full like um, you can, can you see it? Scorpio can moon. You it? Like yeah, I feel I hear like that's like I don't even want to say it's like you put the petty it's in there. It's a high art. Yeah, it is a very high art. It's, it's like a really subtle shape. and it's not, yeah it's subtly petty and we just have to keep that up right 
And I can't wait for this fool to just be like, I'm sorry, you can't charge in your account because he's a fucking dick. Yeah. Anytime like this guy comes in, any interaction I have ever had with him has been terrible. Yeah. He oh, acts he's, like he's his shit. He acts like he shits roses. You, you know? know what else too? I know I can tell that he is a misogynist. Oh, me too. So like my options for signing this were sign my name, which I'm not gonna do because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. Sign Nick's name, which I'm not gonna do because it's obviously not from Nick. Mm-hmm. Or just sign star grocery accounts and billing with no name, which is what I ended up doing. <laughs> because I'm not gonna put my name on there because oh, I know no. I can tell. I know, come for, after you. I know for a fact that this person would come after me personally, and I know that it would be a very specifically it would be an attack that would be very misogynist in nature. This, and I don't I can't deal with it. Yeah, no, hell no. I mean I could deal with it, but I really don't. Right. So. Well, he also was there. Did it, maybe I heard this wrong. Did he try to blame somebody else for all of the? He tried charges? to blame his wife, okay. which is stupid I'm because everybody sees him. Yeah, and I'm going to hundred percent defend his wife and say that she specifically pays with a credit card. And the reason I know this is because mm-hmm. she is one of few people who still is like, I need the receipt for this. Mm-hmm. She is so adamant about like needing a receipt or some kind of yeah. proof that she paid for her shit with her own money. Yeah. She's also not a white person, right? No. And she has to live with this woman. <laughs> she's Asian. She's an Asian woman who has to live with like she's an Asian one of the immigrant. most scumbag white men on earth. Like, yeah. Yeah. She's probably like not having a lot of fun living with that dude. Anyway, so there are a couple things that came out of that. A couple of thoughts. My first thought is like very, very rarely do I feel grateful for all the years that I went to an extremely fancy private school as a scholarship student because it was very dramatic and I fucking hated everything about it. All I wanted was to be in public school with my friends. But it taught me, it gave me the ability to code switch and communicate with people like this in a way that is effective um, to achieve my goals in communicating with them most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. I'm able to write a letter like that to a person like that because I had to code switch to communicate with that type of person for many years in order to country club language. Yeah. In order to like get by and like get the shit done that I needed to do and not get in trouble and achieve my goals. So thanks. Private school, New England prep school that made me fucking hate myself. Thanks for that superpower. Now I can like throw extremely subtle <laughs> class appropriate shade onto this dude and hopefully like, make him pay oh, his bill. sir, you don't want the country club market to yeah. suddenly suspend your account. Yeah. The embarrassment. You should be embarrassed. Thing. That's the thing is like people need to be shamed, but they need to be shamed like, people like this need to be shamed in class-specific ways. 
in order to achieve your ends and shaming them. Yeah. It wouldn't actually, it would gain me nothing and it would ultimately not even make him feel bad for me to shame him the way I want to shame him, which mm -hmm. is loudly into his face. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that. Oh so, man. Yeah. yeah. Just like thinking about how shitty some of these people treat other, I don't know. I mean, this guy in particular, like, treats the employees here like garbage. Yeah, totally. You know? And I'm just like, why are you fucking making fun of me, fool? Like, my grocery bill is completely paid. You yeah. know why? Because the world expects me to, to pay, pay for, for them my shit. <laughs> before I leave the store with them. I don't get yeah. to sign no, like, piece of paper yeah. and be like, oh, I'll pay for this shit right. later. Yeah. Like, So that's why, so your story about the guy being like, I get the tequila free like that of course reminded me of this guy yeah because they're part of the same it's the same thing and the thing is this insane irrational offensive sense of entitlement mm -hmm. of these people like you know it's like these mediocre white men with tons of money most of which they probably don't deserve <laughs> Like a lot of which they probably inherited or, you know, they were mediocre but got hired at a corporate law firm just because somebody would rather hire a mediocre white man than somebody who's actually a better candidate than them who's not a white man, you know. Like mm -hmm. they don't deserve, they deserve very little of what they have. With exceptions, you know, like our, like our physics of consciousness guy, like he deserves, he deserves everything. And his opera singer wife deserves everything. But like, these people, like, free tequila guy and $9,000 grocery bill I'm not planning on paying guy, like, they they have way too much money. They're way, way too fucking mediocre. And they have this insane, insane sense of entitlement. Insane. Yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Like, why do we live in this insane world where, like, poor people have to pay for their shit? And if you are poor and you don't pay for your shit, or if you're broke and you're trying to fucking feed your kids and you steal some food or something like that, you're going to end up in jail. Your kids are going to end up in the system. Your whole family is going to be fucking traumatized because you, like, stole a loaf of bread or whatever. Right. Meanwhile, if you're rich, you meanwhile there's motherfuckers like this who literally, over the course of several months, in broad daylight, known to all, including the person they're stealing from, steal close to 10 grand worth of expensive groceries. And not only do they not go to jail, not only are they not in any way criminally liable for stealing close to $10,000 worth of merchandise, they don't even have to pay it back. They're not even expect, like, the person this dude stole $9,000 worth of groceries from is like, oh, well, his dad was my geography teacher. Right. He doesn't have to Did pay Did he feel back. the same way when there was a black guy stealing um, champagne? champagne? No, he bought a whole new fucking case to lock up the champagne. Right. So, so I want to be like, what is up with the double standard, dude? You're letting, you will give one rich white dude a $40 bottle of tequila. Like every time he comes in, you give him a free and then the, like multiple white people can like get away with not paying massive grocery like bills. Thousand dollars for 
accessories, but it's like, but like one black like, dude. I get it. Like he stole some shit, but it's like, wait, to quote you, what did he say? Reparations, one bottle of Vuv Clicquot at a time. <laughs> take the champagne. You know, it's like, honestly. If it happens on my watch, I'm like, take another bottle, dude. Me like, too. On a, it happened <laughs> on my watch hella times. I'm just going to quickly tell the story before this little segment ends. So like me and then mainly like um, our other coworker whose name starts with a J. I'll just say Jules. Like that fool would come in, and I would always get so mesmerized by this person. Because his like, fashion's hey, amazing. His fashion's amazing. Dripping. He was like dripping in gold, like you know, multiple nose rings, like earrings. Like he just had he looks gold. Like a, like, he, he looks like looks, a king. Literally, he's a like, king the walks king. in. The champagne king walks in, and then like I'd be like, damn, what's that? And like, oh my god, his sneakers and his like fucking tracksuit. And then you would see that full like creeping out like hell of models um, in a bag like clinking, and I would just be like, I didn't see shit. And then I'd be like, Jules, like I was like, Jules, that fool just like walked out without at least like eight bottles. He's like, honestly, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> he was like, let him take that shit, and it's like you know, right? Because I don't know. There's also it's like a double standard to me. Yeah. It's like, you're going to have a really hard time arguing to me that there is really a problem with that dude taking champagne when it's not a problem for somebody to not pay a $6,000 or $9,000 outstanding bill. Mm-hmm. You're not going to, you can't tell me. It makes no sense. Yeah. Same. It doesn't add up. Like, right. I'm sorry. But like, if you can be consistent, if you're actually being consistent about making people pay for shit, mm-hmm. then it can make sense to me. But if you're basically telling me that it doesn't matter if certain people pay for their groceries, then how am I supposed to accept the idea that it matters so much that other people pay for their groceries? Yep. The only difference being that the people who don't have to pay are rich and white, and the people who do have to pay are not. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so we just dished about grocery names. It's pretty good tea, though. Oh, yeah, and it's also, it's depression on a palate. It's coming tomorrow. Oh, fuck. And, um... Depression on a palate's coming tomorrow. Sucks, dude. I think yeah. it was two weeks ago was the last time it happened, and it was that was, cool. like, the most depressed I've been. I've been, like, basically depressed for three years, but, like, I think two weeks ago on Tuesday was, like, probably the most depressed. <laughs> that was, like, my low point. Oh no. Because the groceries just like are an added, it's like an added weight. Yeah, literal weight. You have to lift a lot. Yeah, exactly. Dumb shit. A lot of dumb shit. A lot of stupid shit you would never eat. I have to give like a quick like warning. I have to leave at like 2.30ish tomorrow because I got to go to the doctor. This is actually pretty funny as like an old student. Mm -hmm. Well, I just decided to, like, schedule my physical at the same time, because why not? I have to go down to fucking Kaiser anyway. But um, entering college at this age, you know, it's, like, a lot of paperwork and documents. And one of the things that's missing from my immunization record is my chickenpox vaccine. Because I got the fucking chickenpox. Yeah, me too. When I was three, right before the yeah. vaccine came out, yeah, so, so growing up, the doctors were like, oh, well, you, already had yeah, it. you already had it, whatever. Well, um, fast forward to, like, a time period 
freshmen, college students, for the most part, all were required to have that vaccine oh, yeah. in their first year of being alive. Yeah. Um, UC Berkeley is requiring that I show proof that I am positive for the chickenpox oh. virus. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to go down to the doctor at like 2 p.m. tomorrow and be uh-huh. like, here's my regular physical. Take my fucking... Know, whatever vitals proves to hell that work. I have chicken pox. But can you also? My main thing is I need to prove that I had the chicken pox so I can go to school, mm-hmm. which is like a dumb fucking thing. Yeah. So really sorry. I thought tomorrow was not depression on a pallet day, but it turns out it was. It's okay. It's just gonna suck. I mean, it's sort of like yeah. There's just certain things that you know are gonna suck. And- there's nothing you can do about it. All you can hope is that other people don't make it worse by talking too much. <laughs> no? Oh, it's coming back to me now. Yeah, it's like the person like on the palette. says, uh, L'enfer, c'est les autres. <laughs> Hell is other people. Parentheses. <laughs> we will not shut the fuck up. <laughs> L'enfer, c'est les autres qui ne se taisent pas. <laughs> Baise ta bouche. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. Last depression on a pallet was pretty fucking terrible, actually. Yeah, I just want certain people to not talk. It'll be a lot better. Um, yeah, so what else, what else is going on? What else are you doing? What were we talking about? Oh yeah, we were quickly talking about, oh yeah, friendships post-pandemic and like how the great weeding out yeah it's kind of i'm sort of coming to view it as an opportunity in a way Mm -hmm. to be to like think critically and be discerning about who needs to be in my life in in some way you know yeah. And who doesn't um, in such a close way, you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely um, feel that a lot. In terms of, yeah, I don't know how to like even say it without like fully calling people out, but I'll just, I don't know. I have like one specific friend that I like comes to my mind when I think of the pandemic and how a lot of issues in that friendship sort of came to light. One in particular, main thing, I think we've talked about this too, was this sort of feeling of being othered because of where I work, you know? And part of it is not everyone's like, you know, these specific people's faults. Yeah. It's like you're freaked out about getting sick and you have one friend who's like exposed to people a lot. Yeah. Whereas like a lot of your other friends are Right. Not. And like, but what those people don't think about, you know, it's almost like, I mean, at least for me personally, I was made to feel like, oh, it's my fault. And then in a way... Like it, you should be doing something else. Like, why are you still... Not even that. It was just like, you should know that I don't want to see you. Oh, like, seeing right, right, right. you yeah. is like risk. However, this friend saw several other people throughout the pandemic, but 
they were only people who also worked from home and also whatever which i get it some of these i totally get it like some of these people did have like predispositions but how the fuck do they know that i don't or that like my husband doesn't or something and never once like in the whole year and change that we've been doing this has this person asked me hey how are you doing how is it like working in a pandemic you know like i don't feel like anybody checked in i mean don't get me wrong like i'm not holding anybody i'm not feeling any type of way about them it's just like oh i think like moving forward i need to like kind of remember that yeah because i'm bad at remembering when people fuck me over it's like Mm -hmm. the worst Thing about me, I'm too forgiving. I think I'm so good at remembering when people fuck you over. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad at. I like, have an encyclopedia. I have a special encyclopedia in my library of encyclopedias in my memory that's just like the encyclopedia of people who fucked Jeanette over and when and how they fucked Jeanette over. <laughs> yeah, thank God. I'm gonna have to like check in with you on because, some of those like, things. Revenge. But yeah, like this friend just like you know, would always talk, call me and like talk to me and vent about how hard it was to be at home during a pandemic. And it's like, for anyone that knows me, like knows that I love being at home and I love being alone. I'm not, I'm never lonely when I'm by myself. I got a fuck ton of shit to do. In the same way that I have a lot of shit to do, like, that I have to do, like, work jobs that I don't really like and, like, you know, pay the bills and all that stuff. If I, if money wasn't an option, I would be just as busy doing my hobbies that I'm actually pretty fucking good at. Because anyone that's, like, seen anything or heard anything that I've created has been like, wow, this is pretty great. I had no idea. Yeah. Too bad you have talent. Too, too bad you have, like, so many other things you have to do and you don't have any time to, like, do this thing. Right. So it's like hearing somebody tell me, like, like complain oh, about complaining about being home all the time and making more money through the pandemic this is like one of the few people i know who benefited from the pandemic like their company actually like grew and they made more money it's just like really hard for me it was hard for me to like sit and listen but like i did you know yeah but yeah it definitely felt like wow it i guess it more like highlighted like we're actually on completely different planets right yeah I have, I have to say that I, I do have a lot of compassion for some people in my life who had a really hard time being at home because there are certain people who were very obviously kind of like driven to the point of a mental health crisis, by, mm-hmm. you know, and it was obviously really painful uh-huh. for them. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just that it's a very different reality from like yeah there's just this gulf between like people who need to go to work like outside of their house yeah (laughs) people who don't um yeah so um 
Well, what else? I read, I like binge read Hunter Biden's memoir the last three days. Have you heard about it? It's like a this page turner that Hunter Biden wrote about his like crack addiction. Mm. And um, well, most, I mean, the, the first part of it is about like his trauma from his mom and his little sister dying when he was three in a car crash. And like his first memory is like waking up in the hospital with his older brother who's a year older than him. And like his brother who was four, he was three and his brother was four and he's like, they're both in like casts and hospital beds and shit and his brother's saying, I love you, I love you to him. And then he taught, he tells the story of his brother, his older brother dying of brain cancer in 2015. And then he just spiraled into like full-on crack addiction after that. Like, he just couldn't handle his brother dying at all. He totally lost it and, like, kind of went, like, off the grid. Like, he was just living in motels, like, doing crack for, like, years, basically. This is, like, during the time that Trump was, and Giuliani were, like, attacking him constantly, saying that he was, like, up to some shit in Ukraine or whatever. Anyway, I just fucking cried my face off, basically. For, like most of this book because it's very fucking raw like grief mm-hmm. and um shit man that felt great it's my story <laughs> feels really fucking great to cry yeah like it's really hard it's been really hard for me to feel anything mm-hmm. and it's been really difficult to like cry for example and I find that like yeah the only times that I've really been able to get any like emotional release of any kind has been with something like that it's like somebody else's story just like I feel that shit so deeply like that like loss and grief just like I was just fucking waterworks through this whole book. So thanks, Hunter. Also, I'm really repressed. <laughs> There's a lot of shit. <laughs> it's just like pushed down real fucking far. Oh, because... no. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should find a time to do some mushrooms. Oh, that's the other thing. There's like a whole like. Hunter Biden went to like 30 different rehabs because he kept relapsing over the years. And like one of the ones he went to was like, I think it was in Mexico maybe. And he did like ayahuasca oh, shit. and like a couple other things. He actually, it's really, it's interesting shit. Like some of the stuff that you've studied that we've talked about, about like early childhood and memory development and kind of like trauma and early childhood and shit. Like a lot of that stuff is part of it because, because like, you know, the, the defining experience of his childhood and like arguably his life is when he was like in the backseat of a car when he was three years old. The car got broadsided by a tractor trailer. His mother and his little sister were killed when he was three. Yeah. And so he couldn't like remember it. Like people were always talking 
his whole life, everyone knew him. Like in his family, like he knew about it. He knew what happened, but he didn't have a memory. But then when he did, I think it was when he was on ayahuasca or something like that, he like relived the experience. And after that, he felt like he had almost recovered a memory of that, like the moment before the car got hit. Just kind of interesting. Oh wow. Um, and like a lot of other stuff too. A lot of like emotional stuff that went along with that. Just like a really deep grief. Yeah. That went along with like a very early childhood memory that had been sort of like walled off. And um, he like he felt like he broke through was able to access this like traumatic kind of formative early childhood memory. Oh wow. So maybe I just need to do ayahuasca. <laughs> so that I can honestly so that I can crazy. stop just like sobbing my face off and shit like and just being like that was a great cry. Sometimes I still don't know do. what it was about. What did we call it? <laughs> like my friends always call it like the checkup from the neck up. We start feeling like shit. I yeah. I don't know. Like, I remember hearing that term for the first time after the first time I did acid. And, at, like, the next day, I was just like, holy shit. Like, I feel fucking great. And almost like my brain has been reset, which is the mm -hmm. opposite of what anyone ever told me LSD would yeah. fucking do. And, I mean, I've only done acid twice, you know. And the second time I did it, it wasn't as, like, whatever... I, I don't know. Then I tried mushrooms, and that was a whole like, bitch. We're about to just face all the shit you don't want to fucking talk about. And I was just crying yeah. for four fucking hours. Like it went from like laughing to crying, and then I don't know. The person I was like shrooming with was my husband, who had never done. He's he doesn't even smoke weed. Let's just say so. Him trying to pull me out of like a bad trip was just not working. But I basically thought about like my gay nephew and cried about them for like four hours. And then of course texted them because I'm like crazy. We actually only, yeah, but we only also, have like an eight year age gap, so it's not super then, inappropriate. Then like they've also done drugs and cried about you, right? Right. Yeah, they always call me when they <laughs> so it's do. A mutual, it's, mutual. it's like a mutual like we just think about each other when we're on drugs. And cry and cry, but I gotta say, like I remember feeling like internally, like this is terrible. Why am I crying so bad? How do I stop this feeling? But the tears actually just felt so good. That's how I felt crying my face off reading Hunter Biden's book. <laughs> I was like, I should just keep this shit by my bedside and fucking read this shit and cry every night. <laughs> felt like a cleanse, dude. Like it honestly felt like very cleansing. Yeah, and I was like, you know, what's funny though. It was like I was like in my bed, in my bedroom, like in me and Harley's bed, like reading Hunter Biden's book and just like fucking sobbing. And like Harley was like making loose lunch in the other room. I think he had headphones on. He was listening to a podcast or something. But like, <laughs> I had this feeling like, man, if Harley walks in here and sees me like reading Hunter Biden's memoir, just like a mess, like fucking sobbing, he's gonna be like, oh no. <laughs> 
he's not gonna understand that this is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna be like, this crying's is really good. Sometimes. Yeah. You know, especially like when you get like a big old cry with like all this I always knot like, and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I always laugh like, at I always laugh at my friend James because he's also like pretty emotionally repressed. But very like very openly like sobs at movies, including really dumb movies. Like <laughs> it's I the same love thing. It. It's like he loves um there's a Pixar movie, I think it's called like Inside Out or something <gasps> like that. Oh, that is a tearjerker. Yeah. I cry so, at that every time. So James loves to cry at that movie. Um, he loves to cry at Pixar movies, really like all Pixar movies. Like yeah. when he needs a good cry, he just puts on like a like a good Pixar movie. They like, really um, do that to you though. What is the one what's the Day of the Dead one called? Oh my god. Um It's called Remember No, the song is called Remember Me. Uh it start with the C. Coco. There we go. Okay. Oh, go, dude. <laughs> oh my god. If you need to cleanse, if you watch need to Coco. cry your face off, that is a really good one to watch. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I always make fun of James because no matter what movie he's watching, like, I'm like, oh, how'd you like that movie? And he's like, I cried my face off. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm glad you have an outlet for you. <laughs> I mean, but I can't blame him because I'm exactly the same way. I There's a lot going on. I most of it i can't even begin to understand like what's really happening it's hard to express emotions it's difficult to even cry about stuff so like if you can get there i don't care how you got there buddy you found a road yeah. you found a road and there's liquid coming out of your fucking eyeballs as long as it's not somebody being mean to you yeah. like i have complex ptsd and yeah. like i mean i can regulate my emotions now but like I've noticed that a lot of my anger, like if it's either, I have a lot of rage, right? Yeah. And so if I can't hit somebody, my, I, it just turns into tears. And then yeah. I get angrier because I'm like, oh, great. Now everybody's going to see that like I'm, or they're going to view me as like this weak piece of shit. But it's really that I'm strong because I'm not fucking attacking anybody yeah, right now. I'm being so strong right now. <laughs> you don't even know how strong I'm being. Literally. Yeah. Tears are great. It feels good. It's healthy. But I think, I think like what you just said, I actually think you might have just given me a little bit of insight because I think a lot of what I am crying about is actually shit I'm angry about. And I feel really powerless to do anything about certain things that I'm really angry about. And that's what makes me cry in a lot of cases. There's definitely like a very close connection between like rage and grief. Yeah. And a feeling of like powerlessness is a big part of it. That makes a lot of sense. And part of it is like, I mean, the shit in Hunter Biden's book is just like how life is so unfair. It is. It really is. Like, just like the, the amount of suffering that just seems 
so wrong <laughs> and so uncalled for and just the amount of suffering. I mean, especially children, children suffering. Um, but yeah, there's just so much shit that is just... So it could be like, I feel powerless because someone is deliberately doing something like, you know, like the Saudis are bombing the shit out of Yemen and there's a US supported Saudi military blockade keeping food from getting into the country. So 99% of the children in Yemen are malnourished and like 90% of the children in Yemen are functionally starving to death right now. Like, so I'm furious at the Saudis. I'm furious at all the fucking assholes who are in who are part of the military industrial complex who are profiting from selling arms to the saudis or selling whatever the fuck to make the blockade happen they're all making money meanwhile there's fuck tons of children literally fucking starving to death like i'm really fucking angry about that and the fact that i can't do anything about it and it's like people hurting children and getting away with it and making money off of it yeah there are countless examples like but then some of it also is just, it's not even like a particular person is doing something or a particular government is doing something. It's just like fate seems yeah. so unnecessarily cruel sometimes. Like the shit that people have to go through. Go through. No, it's totally true. Yeah, so. Crying and Crying is good for you. you. Cry more. Yeah. yeah. Start watching Coco and reading Hunter Biden's book every day. The thing that really gets me <laughs> like, gonna be any like, movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harley's going to be like, okay, I don't really understand what's happening here, but I'm a little scared. <laughs> Do movies from your childhood make you cry? Um, trying to think if I watched. There definitely were. What was the movie that made me cry when I was a kid? Uh, I'm blanking on it now, but there were, I think it was Carousel. I watched a lot of really corny musicals, uh -huh. and I'm going to have trouble recalling a lot of this, but there's a musical called Carousel, which was a Broadway musical. There was a movie that was made of it in like the 1960s, basically. And I would watch this movie. It's a musical, so it has songs. But like the basic premise is like this guy dies and then haunts his girlfriend. And he like regret he has these like profound regrets about being dead and not being able to like make up for the things that he fucked up in their relationship. And he's trying to like somehow communicate with her, like make it up to her, but he's dead, so like she can't him and she's like dating another dude oh shit Wait, I, would watch, sounds very I would watch that movie and cry a lot when i was a kid <laughs> which is not I really surprising meant, like, movies like um that you watched as a child that now make you cry as an adult i don't think so but tell, I me, feel, tell me your story i feel like all movies that i was really into as a child like i have to like really be prepared to like watch them huh. now i can't watch anything from my childhood without like Really? Yeah. 
that's kind of interesting to me because from what you've told me, some of the movies that were a mainstay of your childhood are pretty ridiculous. Yeah, they are very ridiculous, but there are certain ones like, so I don't know, like my parents were just, they were working immigrants and some of me, I, I was basically raised by a television set and like your older siblings and my older siblings, you know, and like, what did they do? It's like, oh, here's this VHS tape or here, watch this TV so like, I don't station, have to actually interact with you, with you <laughs> right? And, you know, I have a sister that's like very close to me, very close in age to me, who I'm not like the closest with right now, you know, talking about like, let's just say like, okay, like she's in rehab right now, like indefinitely. Um, so without going into like all that, I guess when you are the sibling of someone who struggles with, you know, substance use disorder, um, there's a lot of like things that go, I mean, at least for me personally, that go through my mind. It's like, what, I mean, we had the same childhood, you know, yeah. and we sort of only had each other and we kind of went through like the same experience, a lot of the same like traumatic things together. Yeah. But, you know, one thing that I, I guess like, I don't know, I'm kind of, I thought like everybody just cried at movies that they watched a lot as like a kid. But I think for me in particular, I'm kind of figuring it out just now is um, a lot of those movies remind me of her and who she was at her purest, like, because you were with her. Because I was with her, and, like, you know, none of these things, I mean, her current reality wasn't a thing, and her, like, other traumatic experiences hadn't touched her yet, you know? And so, yeah, watching movies from my childhood are really hard. Like, Sean tried to watch, like, some, you know, like, on Netflix, like, this movie. He actually really liked this movie as a kid, too, like, Little Rascals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my sister and I loved that movie and we would watch it all the time. And like Sean put it on and I just immediately started crying. I was like, I can't watch this right now. Like I can't watch any movie from my childhood without, unless I'm in a specific movie. Yeah. So, that's really interesting. Yeah. Like Disney movie, like, man, my, my little sister, my younger sister and I were small children during what's known as Disney Renaissance. So, like, all of the classic, not even the classics, but just like the Disney Renaissance movies that came out in like the 90s. Yeah. Like, those were all coming out when we were like, like kids. Little Mermaid, Lion King, Um, Aladdin. Aladdin. um, What is it? What else came out around that time? Pocahontas, Hercules. Mm -hmm. Like, all of those were coming out when we were little. Like Mulan, you know, um, and yeah, we watched those together. I can't fucking turn, I can't watch those movies or hear the music even. Yeah. It's crazy. And I mean, I can, but I just have to know that I'm going to be like bawling when I do it. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, it's sort of like, (laughs) again, it's like the same stuff about like memory and grief and trauma and like how inscrutable these things can be like 
I, you know, I mean, it's like, like I said, like, I'm like sobbing at a book. I know that's not really what I'm crying about. Right. But like, grief is so complex mm-hmm. that, yeah, it's just really hard to even figure out like what it is. It comes in like a lot of forms too. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about grief now. So, yeah, the one thing that I was thinking of was, like, about the crying and, like, not really knowing what the crying is about. It's, like, part of that, I think, is just, like, like I said to Harley the other day, like, I just want everybody to shut up because there's so, I have so much unprocessed, there's such a backlog of, like, unprocessed shit right now from, like, past year I mean for me it's more like honestly like I mean my daughter is almost three years old like I have almost three years of unprocessed like really intense basically unprocessed grief and um, just a whole fucking world of like mm-hmm. shit that's yeah. like not been processed at all because mm-hmm. right at the point when I was starting to be able to like maybe process things and think about things was when COVID happened. Yep. And then suddenly, not only was there no time and no outlet to process anything about having kind of a traumatic birth experience, the, all of the, like, I definitely had serious postpartum depression that wasn't treated at all. And like, I was just starting to like emerge from that a little bit when like COVID. Yeah. So there's like no outlet, there's no ability to like even see your friends or like do anything therapeutic on any level. And there's just like another layer of grief, like multiple layers of grief, like coming from every side, you know? Yeah. So thus the crying, Mm -hmm. you know, I almost feel like we're all like, we're just like a planet covered in people walking around with like an ocean of tears trapped inside waiting yeah like every single human being on on the planet right now is like an ocean of tears like just like with hardly any outlet because we're so fucking exhausted that like even figuring out what you feel (laughs) enough to cry about it seems like too much work (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel you on that. It's like, I got too much shit to do today. I can't process this. Which goes back to, like, Sean trying to watch some funny kid movie. And I was like, no, no, I am too busy to watch this. And he's like, it's little rascals. And I'm like, like, no, no, no. I can't even, I don't even have enough energy to explain to you, like, why I can't watch this. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like, I don't even have the energy to articulate why I can't handle this. I just can't handle it. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know, finding, like, healthy ways to live that out. I don't know how healthy it is. I mean, really, like, but it's like, you know, for me, it's like, again, do the best you can. Yeah. Just like sobbing at Hunter Biden's book, or like last week, like maybe two weeks ago, I was totally crying in the bathroom here. Like, 
Really? Yeah. Oh no. I just like in the middle of the day, I was just like, oh fuck, I gotta cry. I had like the same like I had the same thought about crying that you normally have about taking a shit. <laughs> I like ran, I had to run to the bathroom to cry. Oh no. No, it was good. It felt really oh, okay. good. Okay, cool. I had to like splash some cold water in my face. Like I was like, I hope nobody notices that I was just crying in the bathroom. Did anything spark it? It asking? did, but you know, again, like I'm so fucked up that I didn't know like when I went to the bathroom and started crying, I didn't know what I was crying about. And then in the course of crying in the bathroom, I figured out what I was crying about and that made me cry more. Oh, no. But it was good to at least figure it out. Um, yeah, it was basically because the past two, two, that morning and the morning before when I was driving to work, I was listening to the radio and um, KQED was talking about the Dante Wright case. Uh, it was like two days of um, talking to uh, a lawyer and a couple family members and some people in the local activist community and just talking about what happened. And um, yeah, it was just, um, without me like consciously realizing it, it made me furious and it made me so desperately, furiously sad. <laughs> yeah. And it made it really hard. Again, like I was saying, like, I want everyone to just shut up. Like, I won't name names, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, when something like that is sitting in the back of my brain and like sitting like really heavy on my heart and there are certain people just like yapping about stupid fucking shit, like totally unnecessarily like yapping about dumb shit having to do with groceries it makes it so much worse um, and makes me angry, but you can't express anger without creating drama and blowback and bullshit and potential consequences and potential stupid consequences. So it turns into just this incredible weighty, awful sadness. And then lock yourself in the bathroom and cry. Because, uh, <laughs> hey, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it, it works. It works. The bathrooms here are very, like, they have dim lighting. Fairly, like, good. stare at yourself in the mirror a little bit while you And cry. the other thing, too, is, like, there's two bathrooms. So if there was only one bathroom, I would feel really self-conscious about crying in the bathroom. But because there's two bathrooms, you can tell yourself, like, you know, the other bathroom will open up. <laughs> so I'm not really going to sweat my, like, taking up this time to cry yeah. in the bathroom. There's another toilet available to people. There is. And it's, it's like, like if I go into the walk-in cooler to cry, like, somebody might fucking walk in there. Yeah, and then, again... 
bunch of fucking bullshit. Like, like, oh, great. Why is... Like, oh, no, emotions. Yeah, like, oh, no, Jeanette's crying oh, again. What's no. wrong with her? Yeah, we've Wait. learned to, we've learned to hide our like emotional lives yeah. because just because it's too inconvenient to have other people like pay attention to anything about what's going on with you. Right, it's just I always, a giant fucking pain in the ass for other this people. There's meme floating around the internet that every time I see it, I just like, oh, whoever made this is my people, and it's basically it basically says if you haven't cried in a walk-in at your job I don't want to hear anything you have to say <laughs> or something along those lines and I never felt so seen you know and that kind of ties back into yeah. like this whole thing with like friendships and people just kind of not fucking getting it sometimes yeah. although like, I will say as an addendum to that meme I I feel exactly what you're saying on the meme but I also feel like that's a meme for like 30 year olds or like late 20s people whereas like as like a 40 year old i'm like no 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 like you cry in the walk-in like somebody's gonna fucking walk in there and it's gonna be stupid yeah so, like, you gotta find somewhere more private than that that nobody's gonna try to walk in to fucking yeah. get some shit and find you in there and there's gonna be some drama about it like you gotta cry in the bathroom or like just be like say you need to fucking i don't know take a phone call or whatever the fuck and go cry somewhere else because like you're gonna bring some dumb shit on yourself if somebody walks in the walk-in and you're in there crying hell yeah i've gotten really good at waiting <laughs> to cry until i'm all the way exited from the conversation is fucking hilarious <laughs> i've gotten really good at like waiting until i like make it into my car yeah. and driven down the road yeah. from wherever the fuck i need to go cry from yeah um some days like i'll make it out the door but i'm like way the fuck down the street and then the tears start coming and like there have been times when like customers are like, me like oh hi thank yeah. god for masks and like i yeah. now have like transitional lenses so nobody can like you should just like, start wearing sunglasses to work so yeah like instant like sunnies you know nobody can really see my eyes my my nose my mom used to call me Rudolph because, like, the way everyone could tell that I've been crying, like, my nose immediately turns red. Oh and it stays that way for, like, ever until, like, the crying was, like, three hours ago or something like that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, like, mask moments and, like, sunnies, you know, like, nobody can tell what's been going on what kind of a day I had and then yeah I like get in the car and like sometimes like you have to put some sad music on to like yeah. go with it and like just really lean into this I lean you know? in but I I don't okay so my car is my husband's grandmother's car mm-hmm. it's 40 years old it's the same year as me 1981 mm-hmm. so it doesn't have like there's no ability to play music other than the radio uh-huh and everything on the radio makes me cry. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, like, I lean in by, like, getting in the car and continuing to, like, pile on all the bad news that makes me fucking sob my face off, which is, like, a different... It's a different version. It's a less... In some ways, I think, like, less elegant version. <laughs> leaning into... The crying life. <laughs> I'm also talking about my welcome Jenna. to the crying life. <laughs> my Jenna that has like the same CD on a loop. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. 
god. Yeah. Yeah, cars are really great for that as like a private yeah. space to like really lean into your feelings that are kept from the rest of the world. I do a lot of shower crying. That's been shower crying. Yeah, shower crying has been like an ongoing art. So I've been living with CPTSD for, I mean, my whole life, turns out. I mean, I found that out a year ago. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And like anxiety and like general anxiety and depression, like that. I mean, those, all of those things kind of like go together. Yeah. And, um, you know, I recall, not so much like now i would say but like i remember well back when facebook was like twitter you know people would go there to say funny things my funniest like i don't even want to call it not tweet but just like blur yeah was like something about starting my morning off like where i just had my cup of coffee and i was like i can't i just have to take a shower but like i guess i just have to take my coffee and shower drink it in there you know like instead of shower beer it's like shower coffee but then i'm like i'm so sad i can't even stand so then it's like i ended up i worded it very funny but it was basically just telling the story of like my crippling fucking depression and how like most mornings like i take at that time take my shower my coffee into the shower and then just like crouch like sit down on the ground not even crouching just like sit on the ground tub in the tub and just like let the water fall on me and then have like a very dramatic shower cry very tony braxton yeah music video um and yeah just like sit there drink my coffee cry my ass off put some fucking makeup on this is like back when like we worked at that coffee shop yeah your makeup was always so on point yeah i wore that put that makeup on after the cry like nobody can tell that my ass cries like every fucking day at nothing. And yeah, I just love my ass at work. Yeah. <laughs> right. I guess now I know it's not at nothing, but at the time I it's thought, never like, at nothing. Like, wrong That's the point. Me. It's never at nothing. It's Even if you don't know nothing. what it's about. And most of the time it's not about what like if I'm like crying at a book or like James is crying at a Pixar movie or whatever, like it's not really about that. Right. No, it's about other shit, and yeah. it's just too much work and to figure out what it's really about. Yeah, everything <laughs> is a trigger. You know? I have what's interesting to me is like, even though my father died twenty-seven years ago, I still sometimes cry because I miss my dad, and that's totally valid. But that's something that I that I wouldn't have necessarily expected if that wasn't part of my lived experience like if i was not somebody who had a parent die at 13 like if somebody told me yeah my dad died 27 years ago and i still cry because i miss him i probably would have been like huh like that's a lot of years like you're not over it yet you know yeah but that's what's interesting to me is that like there are certain kinds of grief like there are certain types of like that that grief doesn't like it doesn't actually subside. No. Yeah, no it's way. Like, it's actually passing, it's exactly no as strong as it was the day after he died. 
yeah and to me that may i mean i haven't experienced like a parent passing but like that may i have chills see that makes so much sense to me like i wouldn't doubt that would be a different experience like if it was me you know yeah. experiencing that well sometimes I've, i mean i've done so much work around that loss mm-hmm. that still is a little strange to me that it is still so raw. You were a kid. I know, but it just, to me, like, I'm not even exaggerating when I say, like, it feels exactly the same as it felt the day after death. And that's just wild to me that I've spent 27 years, like, reading and thinking and making art and writing and talking about it and, you know, trying to make sense of it through like philosophy and spirituality and everything, everything has been an effort to like fill that void and to somehow give it some sense to give myself a way of like taking hold of it and making sense out of it and making it fit in to my life somehow. And it's almost like there are moments of like just raw grief around his absence where it's like I've never done any of that. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like I've never done any of the work. I've never done any of the searching and reading and writing and everything. And it's like none of that ever happened because it's exactly what it was before mm-hmm. I did. It's kind of astonishing. Yeah. A little bit. I don't know. It's I guess like the only thing that makes me think about is like this saying I hear all the time, not only through just like, you know, different, I follow a lot of like therapists on Instagram. As one should. <laughs> and I also, I mean, just in like, ther- I mean, obviously like the type of grief that I carry is very different yeah. from that, right? But they, I feel like I'm constantly told like your grief and like, like that like don't ever go away like they don't go away no matter how much you want to make them just they don't and we just get better at living with them or knowing how to like live with them i guess you know so like what you're describing like sometimes it break it often feels like the very next day and sometimes you have a lot of like or you know moments where you're just crying and stuff like that, right? I feel like you're looking for different, like it's coming out, but it's coming out in ways that I think you're not really expecting. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, It's just funny, like when you're, when a good part of your grief comes from like a wounding experience when you were a child and now you're an adult. Like for me, at least, like I can go on stretches of time where I'm just really busy and I'm doing other things. And like, I don't think about like the thought of my father doesn't cross my mind, like of his existence, of his absence, of anything. Like my dad just doesn't cross my mind at all. No. But then when I do land on the thought, it still hurts so much. Yeah. That's what's so interesting is like that you can go, because there is that distance between your childhood now, mm-hmm. and your life is an adult life 
full of responsibilities and all the shit. So like your day-to-day life, you cannot think about, I mean, I imagine for you too, you probably go through like periods where you don't necessarily consciously think about shit that happened when you were a kid, right? Mm-hmm. But then when you do land on the thought, mm-hmm. it's crippling. It still is so crippling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, and I guess that's a survival thing. In a lot of ways. It's just mm-hmm. like adaptability, resilience and adaptability. But in order to be a functional adult, you have to learn to navigate around your deep trauma and grief mm-hmm. on a daily basis in order to like function and survive and hopefully thrive. Yeah. And become really funny. Sorry. <laughs> and hide it's your crying. Yeah. And find creative ways to hide your crying. <laughs> laughing is always laughing, laughing in public and Crying in private. <laughs> Hopefully, an equal measure. Making jokes. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I, yeah, I try. I always like say, if I'm not, if I'm laughing, at least I'm not crying. So I feel yeah. like that's kind of where a lot of my like, I always feel like the need to like make a joke out of fucking everything. Right, and that's why comics. I mean, in general, like talking before like an episode or two ago about like the wounded healer thing. Comics who are healers are virtually always very wounded people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a very special kind of alchemy. <laughs> totally. To be able to like turn your grief into this balm for other people's grief by becoming incredibly funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like the funniest people did not become funny on purpose. You know, like, and that's my favorite. When do you think? When did you start being funny? Like, I have no idea. Um, fuck. I as long as I can remember, like, my favorite thing to do was to just like laugh at stupid shit, and like, if there wasn't anything like funny to laugh at, like, I would just try to make a scenario or find something that was funny. Like, I was always searching for like something funny in any given situation. I feel like the first time people started pointing out that I was funny or no, like, you know, categorizing me as like a funny person was, I mean, within my family, probably when I was like 11 or 12 ish. And then that kind of just expanded. And then in school I wasn't super talkative I was actually very like incredibly shy and would just kind of like do my schoolwork and like it was very much like a place where I felt like I had to just like do the thing that I was told to do yeah, so you were a class clown I was not a class clown um but anyone so I was just like the really like intimidating looking quiet person but then once people got to know me like then they knew like Oh God, like I then, yeah, people would tell me like how funny I was, but wow, I thought you were like this crazy, like scary look, as I was very gothic, um, you know, mean person, but you're actually really hilarious, you know? Um, That's funny because I had, I mean, my like, I was the, I got the exact same line from people for a lesson. I was like goth, but everyone was scared of me. 
and everybody I became friends with would tell me afterwards, I used to be so scared of you. People still say that. And then me. I started talking to you, and I realized that you're really funny. Yeah. And you're actually, like, not scary at all. Yeah. People started telling me to do stand-up when I was probably in my 20s. I mean, I also had a lot of insecurity. I probably still do. It's fine. But, um... Yeah, it's like I never really believed it. Like people were like, "Wow, you're very, very funny," but like I didn't necessarily absorb that. I'm just like, "Oh, whatever." They just laughed at some stupid thing I said or something. Which is, I'm sure, the case for like most comics, basically. Right. Like, are just like, "Whatever, I suck." I don't know what <laughs> um, what's the? Uh, I was curious. What's the first stand-up comedy you remember hearing or seeing? Oh, oh, this is actually, I love the telling the story. Um, did I ever tell you about my self-care nights I used to do in like elementary school and middle school? So from the first moment I got my like own room or whatever, we talked about decorating that yeah. room, right? I have very distinct memories. Like every, I loved sleeping in uh -huh. and like Friday and Saturday night would come and like those were my favorite nights because like school was over and my parents didn't anywhere so I would spend the day cleaning my room and making my bed as comfortable and luxurious as I possibly could I also had a giant 90s TV in my room um, <laughs> and um, we had cable in there too I felt wow. very very like we have arrived okay like I have cable in my room anyway I would want, I would like make my bed and then I would hop into bed very early and just lounge with my snacks and watch. It used to be Mad TV would come on and then right after that, SNL. I really loved like SNL in like late 90s, early 2000s. Who was on SNL? Um, like fucking, I remember Will Ferrell was on it still. Uh -huh. Like, I can't remember who else. Um, Chris Rock's song? I don't late, think so. Yeah, and then I do remember always watching Comedy Central. Like Friday nights, it would be like Comedy Central would have their Comedy Central presents. And the first stand up I remember watching and thinking was super hilarious was actually because um, it was like the late 90s, like 98 yeah. or 99. So it was definitely Chris Rock, but I super remember watching um, Pablo Francisco's stand-up and thinking he was very funny. He did a lot of, um, I don't know, I thought his like voice acting was like really fucking impressive and hilarious. Um, I'm trying to remember who else. Oh my god, I can't remember her name. It's not coming to me. Basically, if it was funny or any kind of comedy, like I always watched Comedy Central. That was my favorite channel and specifically the stand-up comics. And then I would always watch Saturday Night Live and Mad TV when that was like... It's a good, it's uh, a solid comedy diet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember being exposed to any stand-up comedy at all as a kid with the sole exception of car on road trips my mother would listen to the tape of bill cosby's <laughs> um bill cosby's 
has a whole tape that's just him like talking about it's like dad it's like comedy about being a dad and how like when your teenager is trying to take your car how you can tell them like like i i always remember this one line because my mom would be so laughing so hard at it because we would be like i brought you into this world i can take you out of it oh god he's talking about <laughs> how like you threaten your teenage kid by telling them that you can you'll kill them instead oh wow of, like, instead of letting them use your car <laughs> oh lord it's just like and he's got this whole thing about god throwing adam and eve out of out of the garden of eden and it's, the whole thing is built around this like authoritarian parental oh no figure sounds very virgo <laughs> and like, my mother would dreams. be virgo mother's dream like, about controlling and punishing your children like yes. because they don't obey you and like stuff and like my mom i'd be like trapped in the car with my mother like driving to west virginia or something she'd put this tape on and just be like laughing hysterically the whole time like listening oh, to bill cosby Lord. like and his like comment stand up about parent being a parent <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> it was really, but the, the craziest thing about it is like my mom, God bless her, like really like doesn't have a sense of humor. Like, I mean, she kind of does, but she and my brother both like, her sense of humor is like, I give it a B. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> B minus, like not really the most cutting edge humor. <laughs> um, like I was traveling with my brother and Ireland and he like took a picture of some sheep and like put it on Facebook and wrote like lunch underneath it like that's like okay that's the type of humor it's not yeah so it's funny the only thing I've the only like comedy I've ever like known my mother to appreciate is that Bill Cosby tape <laughs> that's like the most Virgo and then later on Bill Cosby ever. turned out to be like Dude in history. Oh my God. And you used to have dreams about Bill Cosby being the bartender. Oh, we'll have to like explain that in the next episode. Yeah. Next episode, we're going to talk about Jeanette's Bill Cosby dreams. Pre him being a fucking fuck ass. They were pre everything going down about him. Okay. Wow. This one's really been a doozy. Sorry, anybody who's listening. I had no idea this was going to be this long. And this. Whatever You're it welcome. Was. You're welcome, as always. <laughs> you know, time to go cry in our cars. <laughs>